Well, thank you very much, worship team. It's another great morning of, of singing. I love that song about spirit of the living God. It just has a different feel a little bit to some of our other, other songs that we sing, and just a, just a great time. Thank you, guys. And um, For those of you who may not know, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, pastor of family and discipleship is my official title, I believe, um, but I, I'm happy to be here with you this morning um, and give our lead pastor uh, slash drummer slash keyboardist uh, at least a break, a uh, break for this morning. And um, We are going to continue on in our series, The Fundamentals of the Faith, and as we look at, um, for a few weeks, some of the, the essential doctrines, the essential disciplines of the Christian faith. Now, this is uh, something we've talked about over the last few weeks of, of how important Understanding the fundamentals of, of really any, any discipline, any, any, any sports or, or job, anything. You, you really need to understand the basics of, of what you're doing, how it works, before you can go on uh, to other things. And so we're going to uh, really unpack uh, the, the church this morning, the, the doctrine of the church. We've spent the last few weeks covering things like salvation, uh, liberty in Christ last week, uh, the word of God, things like that. And um, so hopefully this morning you'll uh, be able to, um, if not learn a few things, be able to just re- be reminded uh, about some things about the church. Uh, obviously, uh, I think all of us have heard of the church and things like that, so hopefully you'll, you'll get some things out. I don't, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a place, uh, maybe a theme park or, or a store or someplace where they've got those big uh, faceless cutouts, um, like a big piece of plywood with um, characters painted along the front, and they've got the heads uh, like open for you to stick your head through and stuff. And um, We, last summer, went on vacation with my wife and the rest of her family, and so we had all these little, all our little kids, there's like nine of them under the age of five, I think, and, and so we're trying to get their picture taken through, through one of these deals, and I, I think it was like farmers or something like that, and it was almost like playing whack-a-mole. Like, you could see their heads. I mean, kids can't sit still for pictures anyways, but when they're, like, when you put another object and they have to stick their head and hold it there for longer than, like, a second to get the picture all at the same time, it was just impossible. But it was, it was a funny experience, and I caught, uh, able to at least get one of the, the kids. Um, I'm going to need, let's see, get the picture up here in a second. I might need the guys to switch it for me off of the... There it is. There it is. All right. So that's Gideon, my youngest. He is obviously um, not a farmer. He obviously doesn't have light skin. So, so, there's, so there's some things there. And I noticed in the first service that the pig, like the pig looks like it got shot with a shotgun. That's supposed to be a, like another, another person. I'm sure there's a kid behind that, that's, but just back in the shadows. Um, but th- there's an example of the, the head and the body obviously aren't, aren't a match. Um, here, here's another example. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, there we go. Um, you, you've, uh, Pastor Michael may mentioned this last week. He, he did this really good video of him and Julie. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, to go on Facebook and recognize all his hard work. But the face, you know, I think Pastor Michael's face actually kind of works, so maybe it doesn't. Um, but, the, you know, it's kind of funny when, when the, the head of something and the body of something don't match up. Uh, when you think about the church, the, the church most often, a lot of times in Scripture, is referred to as the body of Christ. We see this in, in Colossians 1.18. It says this, and he is, the body, he, he is the head of the body, the church, referring to Jesus. 
Now, if we think about Jesus as the head, um, if we were to look at a picture and Jesus was placed with, with our church, would there be a mismatch? Would there be a, a disconnect, in a sense? Or, or would, it, would there be some similarities enough to where it wouldn't be ridiculously funny? I think, unfortunately, in, in a lot of our uh, churches today, um, the, as the world, and from the world's perspective, as they look on a church, they, they see what the little they know of Jesus, and this, this man that they know, and then they see the church, they, they see this huge disconnect, and, and it either turns them off, uh, they just, it's almost a laughable matter, such as some of these pictures were. And I think that's why our, our understanding of the church is so important for us to, to really grasp, understand what the church is, who is the church, and, and that's what we're going to spend our time this morning on. I want to uh, look at this verse for a minute to kind of launch us into that conversation about the church. But it, it's this, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, most of the time, this is used in the context of like a marriage sermon, comparing Christ's love to their husbands to love their wives. And I'm not going to spend time on that because several of you have been um, at our, our marriage conference that we hosted, uh, the Mingling of the Souls, Friday night and Saturday, and hopefully uh, a lot of you um, got, got something out of that. If you were here, if you were not able to be here, we're going to try to do that at least once a year, and so be sure to, to make, the, make the next one if you can. But, but a lot of times we focus on that first part, but for this morning, let, let's look at the second. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, so we see here a, a love that Christ has for the church, and, and a love that's not just a casual kind of love, but he, he gave himself up for the church. That deep of a love, and that's what I want us to really unpack today and look at uh, just a better understanding of the relationship between Christ and his church um, and, and the important responsibilities that, that we have left behind, that he's left behind for the church to carry out. Uh, and to really answer the question, like why, why is the church so special that, that Christ would, would die for the church? And so I think when we talk about the church, it's important for us to know what, what we're talking about and what we're not talking about, right? Like that's, anytime you look at a definition, you want to know, kind of clearly explain what, what you're referring to. So this morning we're going to, uh, you know, in our culture, church means a lot of different things. It could mean probably most commonly just a building. Oh, that church over there. Well, that's how even some of us use it in that context a lot. So maybe it's just people just think of it as a building, maybe a religious institution, maybe just that place where, you know, weddings and funerals happen or whatever. Uh, you know, that, that's really probably some of the basic ways the church gets, the word church gets thrown around uh, today. But when we look at the scriptures, none of those things really line up with, with the word that is used for church. And so really when we look at the New Testament and, and see that the word ecclesia that is translated uh, in, into church, uh, there's two kind of connotations or two meanings, two uses of this word. The first one is this. It's the global church, sometimes called the, the big C church, capital C church. It, and it, it basically is made up of all believers in Christ everywhere. And you can add in there from all time. I mean, it's the broadest sense of the, of the word uh, church and it encompasses all of those who have uh, made a profession of faith in Christ uh, from all time. And, and one of the uses, uh, examples of this word is in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, when it is talking about Christ and he put it, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the way the word church is used in this is 
um, used to to um, talk about the the overall global church, believers in Christ everywhere um, from all time. The second way, which we'll spend a little more time on today, is is this. Nearly every time that the word church is used in the New Testament, it's used to refer to a, a local church, a local body of believers, a local group of people. Um, sometimes it is referred to kind of a, you know, a kind of a churches in a region, a group of people in a specific region. But for the most part, it's it's people in a specific, in a, in a specific place, and it is never used to refer to a building or, or just a location. So I think as we look at what a local church is, um, that's what we're going to spend most of our, our time this morning on, and really the definition of it, and then why? Why, why is it important? Why why do we even care about the church? All right, so this is the definition. It's a little bit lengthy, but we'll take some time, so don't, you don't have to worry about getting all the blanks uh, filled in at this exact moment, because there's a lot of them. It is defined like this. A local church is a group of baptized believers who meet regularly to worship God, hear and apply God's word, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and mobilize for mission under the guidance of biblically qualified leaders. And that's probably some sort of violating some grammar rules and run-on sentence and stuff. But for, for the sake of the definition, we're, we're going to leave it all in there and really kind of unpack each phrase going forward, all right? So I'm going to turn the slide. Don't, don't freak out. Um, you'll see these words later. First phrase that we have in there of what a local church is is that a local church is a group of baptized believers. All right, so it's, at the very basic level, a church is made up of people who are believers, people who profess faith in Christ, people who have received the gospel and become part of the, the family of God, and who have eternal life. And then, so that, that's kind of the starting place. And then we've got uh, the, the bapti- baptized part. They're not only believers, but they're baptized believers. And we see in the, the New Testament, and I'm going to refer a lot back uh, to the New Testament and the example of the early church and the book of Acts, but we see there that baptism... Uh, really was uh, just a common practice. As soon as somebody uh, received the gospel and was saved, they were baptized. It's this initial act of obedience. It's this outward expression of the inward experience. And, and if uh, they were a disciple of Christ, they, they were baptized. And that's what um, we as Fellowship of Grace really have for our two requirements, the baseline requirements for membership in our church. To, to be a member of our local body, uh, you must be baptized and you must be a believer. So um, that, that kind of covers at least the foundation uh, of what a church is. We understand that it's, hopefully you're getting the picture that it's a people, not a place, not a building. In our church, you know, for many years, we, we didn't have a building. We started it in a comedy club, just moving in and out. And we kind of, I think in our DNA, we, we get that, that. That church isn't a building, church is the people. And, and so, but at the same time, as we kind of get more rooted in here, in Parkville, in this space, in this building. Uh, we want to always remind ourselves of that truth. So we are a group of baptized believers, a local church. And the next thing is they, they meet regularly. If you're a true local church, you, you meet regularly. A church is only a church if the people get together. You can't meet once a year. You can't meet every few years and, and call yourselves a church. Uh, it, it's, it is an essential uh, especially when you, uh, primarily because you, when you understand what a church should be doing, uh, who, who they are, you can't, it just doesn't make sense to, you know, do that outside the context of being together. You're called to do life with one another, and um, if you 
aren't together, then uh, it's hard to, hard to make that happen. So a couple of verses that we want to look at. Hebrews 10 talks about this. Uh, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, as you see the day drawing near. This is a very applicable verse for us today. Um, and as a, as a local body, and as the author is saying here, you know, this, you should be stirring one another up to love and good works. And, and don't forget, in order to do that, some people, they may be forgetting as the habit of some, not meeting regularly, but, but to meet regularly. And so I think uh, we see it in Acts as well, Acts 2.46, where it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were getting together day by day and that idea, that concept of doing life together. So, you know, for those, and obviously it's none of you here in this room because you're here today, but, you know, you've heard of the CEO, the Christmas Easter only churchgoers. And do you think, based on kind of this definition of meeting regularly, um, this is like a softball question, like yes or no, super easy, um, Sunday school answer, like uh, would they be part of a church? Could you call yourself part of a church but only come to church twice a year? No. Uh, it's it's um, something that we see here. You know, you can't just come when it's convenient for you and, and when you, wherever you think about it. it. It's something that you have to be a part of a church that meets regularly. And in order to be called a church, you have to uh, have, those, have those regular gatherings. And not just here necessarily on a Sunday morning, but in other times. And, and we try to provide for those um, situations and those uh, examples as well. All right, so they meet together regularly, a local church does, and then they also uh, worship God. They meet together wor- to worship God. So you think, all, like, so individually, we, we're just created to worship. We're, we're wired, made in God's image. We are wired to, to worship. Um, and it's the same thing even as we get other, gather together with other believers. Uh, but as sin distorts and redirects our worship towards uh, the, the creation, we, we tend to focus on the created things instead of our creator, and that causes a problem. But when you think about a church, if it's church is made up of believers, uh, when we become a believer, we, we now uh, are being transformed by the Holy Spirit inside of us, uh, by God, and we now have the power and desire uh, to, to worship God in, in a more true way, um, in both spirit and in truth. And, and so we see this idea of uh, the, the early church, spending time praising God. In verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, the early church is, is gathering together. They're, they're, they're praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day, to day, day by day those who were being saved. And so we, we see from their example, we see in the Psalms, this picture in Psalms 150. I don't have time to read all the verses, but you can uh, just write a note there and take a look at it later or look at it in your community groups. There's a command 13 times. Uh, the command is given to praise, praise God. And you see just in the, in the verses there that there's a picture of, of multiple instruments and different things. This group of people is praising God together, ascribing worth, ascribing glory, and, and recognizing who God is and what he has done for them. So that, that's something that, that a church needs to do. And, you know, a couple of things happen when we worship, worship God. First, I think it's a, kind of previews eternity on some levels. And, you know, you, 
maybe the obvious example is you know gathering in here just and the picture that we see in Revelation of all tribes, tongues, nations just standing before the throne, worshiping, singing to God, um, but it also in a lot of other contexts where we worship, not just music, um, but if we're in our community groups and our ministry teams, we're praying for one another and just experiencing uh, fellowship with, with other believers, we're getting that example of what we'll get to do for eternity, and it and it's, um, provides an encouragement for us as well um, when we are able to use our spiritual gifts with, and help one another, use to edify one another and, and build one another up. And when you look at the New Testament, there's a lot of commands, like one another commands, they, they call them. Um, a lot of things, build, encourage one another, pray for one another, build one another up, all these things that really just have to take place in the context of a group of people, in the context of a local church. So we see in there uh, that, that a church, a true local church, will worship God. Next we see a church is going to hear and apply God's word. And we can't really minimize the importance of God's word in the life of the church. We, we could spend an, an entire sermon on it. In fact, Rob did a couple weeks ago, so if you missed that, go check it out on our website. And we could, The importance of the word of God is just so crucial, not only to our lives individually, but especially to our lives corporately. And we look at uh, the... Jesus' words when he was in the desert being tempted, Matthew 4.4, 4, he answers the devil with this, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so we see that God's word doesn't just play this role of, oh, I get fed once a week, this guy stands up and talks about it a little bit, and then we just kind of come back the next week and get, get some more um, that way. That, that just is not at all what the purpose of the word of God is uh, for a church. It, it's something we live by as a group, something we obviously adhere to, it's doctrines, and we are devoted to it. Just like in, in Acts 2.42, um, we're going back to that passage often, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we don't just, when we're devoted to something, it's not something we just kind of listen to passively, but it, it's, a, it's an active uh, hearing that, that transforms our lives and we do something about it. We aren't just hearers of the word, we're doers. And that is very, very important for uh, a true church, uh, to, to be a true church, to hear and apply God's word. Next, uh, a true local church will, will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is one of the ordinances of the church, along with baptism that we referred to earlier. But as we follow this example of the early church, a true local church celebrates the Lord's Supper, which is a symbolic reminder of, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's a form of worship as we remember and focus on what Christ has done for us. And we see when, when Christ was with his disciples, and, and this is from 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul instructing some of the churches in this man manner. He says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. So we at Fellowship of Grace, we, we try to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly, uh, but not ritually. And, and in a, what I mean by that is we, we want the Lord's Supper to be really a, a really transformative act of worship, not just a, a mindless act of tradition. And, you know, some churches can do that every week and do it well. And um, for us, we, we try to do it about four to six times a year and really do it a little different sometimes and, and engage our minds and our hearts in, in different ways. Uh, through the receiving of, of the bread and the juice. So that is, that is one thing that <clears throat> we strive to do in our church and, and is essential for the life of any church. 
as they kind of go back, basically continually go back to remembering uh, Jesus and what he has done on the cross. So they celebrate the Lord's Supper. What else? They mobilize for mission. Mobilize for mission. Hopefully you're getting more of those blanks filled in there for all you blank fillers. So the church is more than just a, a holy huddle that comes together and then kind of goes all across their separate ways. This picture that we have of the, of the New Testament church is one where there, there's a sense of urgency that they're obviously living with, that there's this sense of purpose that they have. And, and that's, that's what we're to be about. And, you know, we talked about the church being the body, the body of Christ. And I think it's easy to see when we think about living on mission, the body of Christ, it, it's not a dying body. It's, it's an active, it's a growing body. And, and it's, it's doing something. And so we look at 1 Corinthians 12, has a lot, a lot to say about it, but this verse kind of summarizes uh, this idea. Now you are the body of Christ and you're individually members of it. So, so each one of us as believers has a role to play in the church. We're individually members of the church, which is the body of Christ. And we, in a, in a big way, represent Christ to others as his body. We continue his mission on this earth as his church. And the, the scriptures also talk a lot about uh, the church as kind of an equipping center. I mean, it's, it's where people come in, get trained, get equipped to do the work in the ministry. It's not just the, the pastor's job or the paid people to, to do the work in the ministry and the members of the church just come and kind of soak in. It's, it's every member is a, is a minister. And we see that um, under the context of uh, this next point, which means this, which says this, under the guidance of biblically qualified leaders. It's kind of the last point. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see just kind of by this example, the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys is going and appointing elders in every, every city uh, for every church. And, you know, there, so we see really two offices of leadership take place in the early church. It's uh, elders and deacons. Now, for elders, there's really three words. I'm not going to get too technical on you, but there's three words. One of them is kind of overseer bishop. One of them is shepherd pastor. One of them is more clearly defined as elder, but they're all used interchangeably. So that's why here at Fellowship of Grace, we view pastors, elders as, as the same. Uh, if you're a pastor, you're an elder. If you're an elder, you are a pastor. And deacons, uh, they help um, sustain the church's physical operations while the elders focus more on the ministry of prayer and the word. And we get that out of Acts chapter 6 and some other places. There's, uh, you know, in First Timothy and Titus, and you can unpack maybe some of these in your community groups, but some of the qualifications for elders and deacons. And, and so we, we get this picture of a church from, from the New Testament, from the gospel, kind of, you know, Jesus dying on the cross, raising again, ascending into heaven, the church begins to form, and to the best of our ability, this kind of definition of a church with all these different pieces that you see is, is what we strive to be. And, and I think there, there are many great ministries, there are many great organizations, businesses, entities outside of the church that do a lot of things and can work in great partnership with, with the local church. Um, but if, if any of those start calling themselves a church or if someone gets involved in one of those in, in place of involvement in the local church, then there's something off there because the, the church 
is just so, so important. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about the rest of our time. Now that you've got the definition of a local church, uh, you should have that memorized by next week and we'll, we'll take a test. Um, but why church? Why church? Can't, can't we just be good Christians that, that love Jesus, that um, worship God without attending or joining a local church? Uh, you know, we're, we're all busy people and got a lot of things going on. Do we really have to add one more thing to our schedule or 30 more things to our schedule by invo- getting involved in a local church? Plus, you know, as, as you look at the New Testament, and I think this is a right understanding that we do, we all have equal access to God. We don't, we don't have to go through a, a pastor or a priest to confess our sins um, you know, we have the Holy Spirit inside each one of us as believers, and so what, what good is the church? Why, why, why do we need to be involved? Well, I want to give you three reasons out of, you know, 300 this morning. Um, the first one is this, uh, because commission, or because of the Great Commission. And I want to look at this, these verses that oftentimes work their way into a lot of our sermons. This is really kind of our, our marching orders, our, our mission as a church. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 which says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I'm going to leave those verses up there for just a second as you you can kind of look at them and uh, meditate on them while I I talk. But I I remember at a time when when I was in college and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life and, you know, being a grown-up, it's pretty difficult kind of transition, as some of you know. Um, you, got, you kind of got to figure out. And I remember kind of just praying and asking God and, and, and then uh, feeling some sort of call to vocational ministry and, and things like that. And, and as I'm like, okay, so there's a lot of different options there. What, what does that exactly mean? Um, but as I looked at the Great Commission and, and kind of looked at the different pieces, I mean, it, it really did, like, it, it just... I think brought something to light and, and some of you probably understand this already or will but you know when you look at making disciples there, there's the command and then you're to baptize them you're to teach them to observe things I mean it just it screams church in a sense it screams the local church it screams planting churches and that, that's really where um, my passion for, for helping plant churches and things like that began and eventually connected us into Fellowship of Grace to help plant this church and you know I, I think we, we can't, when we look at the Great Commission, and we, if we get serious about it, there, there's, there's just uh, no making disciples outside the context of a local church. And I think that um, when you, you know, if each one of us gets serious about making disciples, which, which hopefully we're, we're all improving on that on, on a daily basis, um, in obedience to, to Christ's commissioning, his command that he gave to his disciples, that he gives to us today, um, you know, th- this, is, this is where the, the context and community of the local church should, should really, uh, its importance should increase in our lives, and um, the community of the local church is really, really important, and that's our next point. The, so not only because of commission, but because of community. Why church? Well, we were designed for community. Just like we were wired to worship, we were wired to be in community with others. So all the way back in the, the Garden of Eden, you see Adam, uh, when he was uh, all alone, couldn't find any, anybody, nobody else like him, and God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so just down to our very core, we are, we are uh, geared for, for relationships, 
And then when we think about kind of on a corporate level, our relationship with Christ, while it's very, very, very personal, um, it is never to be, we don't ever see it really being a private relationship with Christ. I mean, it's, it's very personal, but not private. And there's no such thing as, as a Lone Ranger Christian. Uh, in the Bible, you don't see any examples of that. And really, that's kind of a contradiction in and of itself. And th- this quote uh, by a pastor named Mark Dever, he's written a lot on, uh, on the church. And I, w- I want to read it together and, and take a look at it. It says this, When a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a local church because, of its, because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual maturity. He joins a local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him, a member of the body of Christ. Being united to Christ means being united to every Christian. But that universal union must be given a living, breathing existence in a local church. So I, I think that, that really hits, hits the point very, very well. That, you know, when, when we come to Christ, it, we're not just coming to, to Christ on an individual level. We're, we're being united as well with other Christians. And I, I think the gospel, by its very nature, forms, forms a community. We think, when you think of the gospel through the lens of of adoption, being, being adopted by God as sons and daughters of him. We're, we're adopted into his family, into, into that community. We are no longer alone. We're no longer orphans. And, and not only are we a son and daughter of God, but we have other brothers and sisters, right? We're, we're, and siblings are awesome. I mean, I've got one sister. She's awesome. They can also be pretty terrible, if you know what I mean. But, but they can be pretty awesome. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes we... We, we forget just the importance of our brothers and sisters and the role that they play um, in, in kind of forming the community of the church around us. And as most of you know, as you saw the picture uh, of Gideon earlier, our, our two-year-old son that we adopted last year, and one of the coolest things in that process has been just being able to see his relationship with our other two kids really just grow as he learns to, to love them, to call them, Bubba and Sissy and interact with them and get mad at them and do all these things that uh, a brother try to copy them. He's such a little copycat and, and will hurt himself trying to do whatever they do. Um, but, but that's just one of the beautiful things about being a part of a family is, is getting those relationships. And, you know, we're, we're not just united to Christ, but we're united to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And with community, we've got this, this kind of built-in encouragement and accountability that uh, sometimes isn't the most fun, but it's very needed, and it's, it's very beneficial to our, to our health as a church. When you look at um, this, this idea of church discipline, which is talked about in Scripture in several places, um, we, we, a lot of people like shy away from it. Churches just won't even mess with it because it can get messy, and it seems sort of harsh and negative when in reality it, it isn't at all. Um, but the church, this church discipline is the act of excluding someone who professes to be a Christian from membership in the church and participation in the Lord's Supper for serious, unrepentant sin, sin that they refuse to let go of. Okay, and this is something that, you know, we haven't had to do much at all in the 10-year history of Fellowship of Grace, but, but it's something that, that churches, uh, if you are a true church and, and want to be a true community, it's something that you do have to, to take seriously. It is done to protect the reputation of the, the gospel. Um, it, it, discipline helps the church to reflect God's glorious character in, in a faithful way. And, and it really is done because church membership means something. If church membership didn't mean anything, then 
church discipline would, wouldn't have any place, but it does. Church membership definitely means something. And the, one of the key things about church discipline is that it's always redemptive in nature. Uh, always, the, the purpose of it's always to restore the, the, the fallen brother or sister back into the fellowship of the church and with Christ. We see some you know, practical steps in Matthew chapter 18 uh, about how to, how to kind of go about addressing the issue in love. We also see in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives some instruction on, on the church to kind of judge themselves, in a sense. Like, the, the church is to root out a sin, and, and if we really are the body of Christ, we need to take that, that seriously and, and really foster this kind of environment where uh, it's, not a, it's not a judgmental, harsh sort of environment. It's an environment where, where people can, can lovingly speak into other people's lives, um, submit to biblical authority, um, and, and help each other reflect Christ as part of his body. So we, we see community just in a lot of different ways plays an important part um, in why church. The last thing here is, is this as we close today. Um, because Christ. Because of Jesus. Right? That, that really is the main, the main point this morning, you've probably heard somebody at some point say, well, you know, I, I really, I'm, I'm okay with that Jesus guy. Like, he seems like a cool guy. I like him, but the church, eh, I, I, I'm not going to mess with, with getting in a church or something like that. This whole mentality of, of love Jesus, hate the church kind of idea. And, and hopefully, as you've seen this morning, you know, if even looking back at that verse that we read at the very beginning, if Jesus loved the church to the point where he gave himself up for her and died for her. Um, there, there's no real loving Jesus and hating, hating the church. Um, if we love Jesus, we will love his church. And, and as our love grows for Jesus, as, as our relationship deepens with him, our, our relationship should kind of on a parallel track deepen. Uh, our love should grow for the church as well. And so I, I think that's, important for us to, to understand that relationship and, you know, realize that the unity that we have as a, as a body of believers, as a church, um, being rooted in Christ, you know, if that unites us, that is deeper than anything else that could divide us. It's, it's deeper than uh, all the silly things you can think of that churches have split over in, in, in the past. It's deeper than even some of the important things. Uh, but this... this um, this idea of being united with one another in Christ is just a unity that uh, on display for the world to see is, is a beautiful thing. And we'll, we'll as Christ uh, prayed in his prayer, that, that everyone will know uh, who Christ is by the unity that we, we show to one another and we have in our midst. And, and finally, uh, the last verse we're going to look at today, I know we've looked at a lot of different verses, but, but this one's probably like not even just in relation to the church, but in the whole Bible, is probably the most like, controversial and comforting verse in all of Scripture, and it's this, Matthew 16, 18. Let's take a look real quick. It says this, And I tell you, this is Jesus talking, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this is kind of taken out of the context of a conversation he's having with Peter. Peter has just confessed Jesus as the Christ, and then Christ says this, uh, this is, you know, one of the main passages 
uh, for Roman Catholicism. What they use is Peter as the first pope and kind of the head of the church. And um, it, it kind of goes on from that. But when you really look at the, the passage and, and in the original languages, it really can't mean that because the word for Peter and, and then the word for rock, while they both do mean rock, their, their use is two different kind of uses of the word. It, you know, Greek language is much more complicated. It gets way over my head quickly than the English language. But it's kind of different genders, different uses of the gender, so male and female. So it would be like, just on kind of a, an easy example, it would be like Jesus saying, and I tell you, you are an actor, and on this actress, I will build my church. So the two, it means two separate things. So the, the thing is to kind of figure out, so what is Christ building a church on? Um, well, the most common kind of uh, scholars have debated this forever, but they really have kind of nailed down this most accurate translation of, of it being the rock is Jesus. Uh, you know, Christ, Peter's just confessed Jesus is Lord, but the rock that the church is built on is Christ. He's the cornerstone of the church. But, uh, but that point of, of him building the church, I think, is the comforting piece. For us as, as church members, as church leaders, that Jesus is in the, he, he is building his church. He, it doesn't say he's built it already. He, he's building it back then. He's building it right now. And, and we can kind of rest in that a little bit. We can give us confidence in the work that we do, the, the service that we, we do uh, through Christ that he's working in and through us. Um, I, I think that should give us some hope, kind of at times lift some of the weight off our shoulders where, where we're kind of putting too much responsibility or, or just too much pressure on ourselves to, to do things. We obviously have to be obedient. Christ does uh, call us to do, quite, you know, to, do, to do things in his name and empowers us to do that. But, but I think that's a very comforting piece. And you know, if you think about Jesus, and you know, part of me is like, Jesus, if you wanted, like, I know you're gonna build your church, but you're God. You could have like, just stayed 33 forever and still be around today and building your church. And it seems like that would be a pretty... Uh, foolproof way to, to have the church being built. But in God's plan, he, you know, Christ is still here, isn't he? I mean, we've talked about him, his body, his body being the church. He is here in some ways, in, in a very clear way. That we're, as the, we as the church are his body here on earth to fulfill his mission. And that, that's just God's plan. And, and we, we accept that and embrace it and, and understand that we're not just to uh, deal with church as something we just come to. We just don't just come to church. We, we are the church. We, we must be the church, must live on mission, and worship God in ways that um, you know, only he can be worshiped. Uh, so I, I hope this morning, you know, the, the church, we could talk for a long, long time, but just some, some kind of important points uh, especially about the connection between Christ and the church and, and to see that when you, when you worship Christ, uh, your love for the church is, is going to grow as well. So let, let's pray together as we close. Um, Father God, we do thank you for uh, your church. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of your church. Uh, we thank you for uh, what you've done here uh, at Fellowship of Grace and what you will do. God, we thank you for the other biblical churches in our area, around the world, God, people that uh, are, are just being divinely used by you uh, to, to minister to the world around them in their contexts. God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to really uh, jump all in uh, to the church and just our participation, 
and the, the way we, we love the church, God, because first and foremost, uh, we love you uh, as you have first loved us. God, we ask all these things in the name of, of your son, Jesus. Amen.